0: You like movies about gladiators. Those men wanted to have sex with me. Great stuff. Send Bieber. Cinderella oh, boy. Ramble is a pussy. Come with me if you want to move. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And welcome to a podcast dedicated to the films that George and I grew up on. Films of the 80s and 90s action films blockbusters cult classics you name it if it meant something to us we're going to cover it and this week we're going to be covering the massive 1991 classic by James Cameron Terminator 2 Judgment Day a very big film for us George wouldn't you say huge film i mean it's
1: um yeah it's it's one of my f- favorite films of all time it's uh you know top of a lot of people's lists for action films for sequels for sci-fis um so yeah i've got a lot of fond memories of uh of growing up with this film
0: i remember seeing this film together in a cinema in france when we were both as as was the style of the time far too young to see this Is, is that correct
1: Yes, we were in a in a ski resort, and I think that's why we got through the sort of uh, <laughs> legal loophole of uh, seeing a fifteen rated film at the cinema. So it must have been you know six months after it had been released in the UK. Um, but yes, I remember we were quite lucky to see it on the big screen uh, back in yeah it must have been sort of February nineteen ninety two.
0: Yeah cuz I think I was 13 so you would have been about 8 or 9 and yeah. uh, but I think in France they're a bit more lenient and it's kind of what I suppose the 12A is today in that with 15s cuz we went in with parents there was at least uh, there was at least one parent with us and I think if you did that you had more likelihood of getting in but I'll never forget seeing that film and it's weird because I can still remember the subtitles underneath when we were watching it
1: Yeah I remember the uh, the French audience laughing lots at the the point where Uh, Arnie's been interrogated, sort of like, so why can't you kill people? And he goes, why? And he just keeps saying why, the Frenchies were loving that.
0: (laughs) Excellent. So we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to, obviously, as we like to do, you know, I'm really, I'm just the host with a love of film. George um, does have movie qualifications and knows a lot more than I do about what goes on in the industry. So we'll be talking about the production. And there was quite, obviously, a long gap between Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. So what James Cameron's vision was and how it was made possible. But I think before we go any further, a quick word from George on housekeeping. (laughs) Housekeeping.
1: So, we are movie fans. We're we're not journalists. We're doing this out the love of our hearts. Be warned, there will be times where we will ramble. We live up to our name. There will be occasional swearing, bad impressions... And we're likely to go on tangents from time to time. Special mention, uh, sort of a heads up for for this episode in particular. Unfortunately, we had uh, some uh, mobile interference. It was probably those pesky uh, machines from uh, Skynet um, were trying to muscle in on our chat. Um, So there are going to be periods in this recording where there might be a little bit of a change in the audio quality uh charlie and i have have been through the recording and we've cleaned it up as much as possible and uh, we still think it is a you know it's it's a really good chat it's it's really worth listening to rather than re-recording and starting again Um, we're really happy with the the review so please bear with us in those those times of interference um, and we hope you enjoy the chat
0: yeah, it's just those damn machines. Well, it's either the machines or it's Axel Rose getting his own back for us criticising um, his musical talent. So, George, what are we recording on this time? It's the 90s. What technology is available if we're taking a retro ramble?
1: Well, um, I've had a chat with Miles Dyson, and he's given me this this really high-spec PC that's got this thing called a dial-up modem. So um, I think it's going to really take off. I don't think there's going to be any
0: issues with it. Machines of the future, what could possibly go wrong? So, without further ado, we're going to get our ramble on and um, here's the show. Enjoy. Same make, same model. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down. ...is to protect it. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. So George, um, we've been back to 991 before, we did Point Break, that amazing film uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow, but what's this I'm hearing about some ex-gentleman lover of hers? Some guy called Jimmy Cameron, deciding to take up the reins and have a shot at movie making, what's all this about?
1: This is quite uh, a milestone for us because this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first sequel we've done on Retro Ramble. Affirmative. (laughs) So yeah, this, believe it or not, is the sequel to the film The Terminator. It's brought to us by James Cameron, writer, director, Canadian filmmaker, inventor, engineer, uh, philanthropist... Um, one,
0: one more time. <laughs> Phil,
1: Phil Lanthoprist and a deep sea explorer. And I don't know if he's told you this, Charlie, but he's a vegan as well.
0: Right. OK, so, OK.
1: That, that's, that's, a weird... that's a bit of a bad joke on my behalf. How do you know if somebody's a vegan? Don't worry. They'll fucking tell you. James Cameron. Everyone should have heard of him. Because he is the man that has the two biggest box office successes of all time. In number one being Avatar, number two being Titanic. As a result, people have gone uh, fallen out of love with him, but he is a he's, he's a a great credit to the sci-fi genre, to changing the face of blockbusters as a whole. He is the king of making a an amazing sequel. So just to give a, a quick overview of his career, so he started off working in the special effects department in the art department under uh, Roger Corman, who does a lot of cult, uh, low-budget movies. He did a little bit of directing on the sequel to Piranha 2, but then he was fired off that, and but still did some work on it. But his first feature was um, The Terminator, which he wrote and directed. And The Terminator 1 was made for 6.5 million, filmed over six weeks. The studio that were releasing it, they just expected it to be... You be, know, a B quite, movie. It, be a B-movie. Just be a B-movie. Yeah, it's a B-movie. It'll last a week at the cinema, and then it'll be done and dusted. But it was a massive success. Um, it went on to earn over 78 million worldwide, so on a 6.5 million budget. That's quite a decent turn on investment. Made him a, a household name, so he quickly went on to make aliens again there's a lot of parallels with with aliens and with terminator 2 in terms of taking those familiar elements that you really liked about the first one and effectively changing it in changing the genre so ridley scott's alien is a haunted house in space, a, a bog standard sci-fi horror. Aliens is a action film. It's Vietnam in space. Turns you know Sigourney Weaver, who was the damsel in distress, an alien into a warrior woman heroine, kicking ass, taking names, taping a flamethrower to a massive machine gun.
0: Women are amazing at multitasking. Very, That's what mu- I like about them.
1: very much so. Bigger budget, more action, and turning genre conventions on its head
0: so obviously he made terminator it did an amazing job it washed its face then it put on moisturizer 78 million is a great great job but he didn't just do nothing between terminator 1 and terminator 2 he he worked he, what was it was it the abyss there's quite some time passed between so, the two yeah so
1: 1984 was uh terminator then he did aliens in 1986 he did some story script work on one of my guilty pleasures Rambo first blood part 2 before it was rewritten by Stallone and had more sort of you know exploding commies via bow and arrow <laughs> he then did the abyss in 1989 and the abyss actually is even Cameron is happy to admit is probably his least successful film it's still worth a watch it's a good I, film. Yeah, yeah I, I, like I still it. Re- recommend it So in The Abyss, there's a first use of 3D image mapping of someone's face, which would go on to pay the wave for the T-1000 effects. Apparently, um, Cameron had always wanted to have that T-1000, that liquid metal, that moving Terminator from the get-go. He wanted to include him in Terminator 1. And apparently Terminator, the story, his original idea for terminator one it was going to be the first half was going to be terminator one the second half of the film was going to be terminator two but budget and technology just wasn't available
0: so it's crazy that he had that vision even back then that you know even before even when writing the terminator that he just he either didn't have the the budget or the technology wasn't available but just crazy that he had that in his mind
1: Love him or hate him, the man is, I think it's he's a very intelligent, very ambitious man. And he's always, you cannot deny, he's always trying to push technology to its its fullest potential. He's maximizing the budget, but for good reasons. He's not doing things for the sake of it. It's all about making it look as good as possible, making it feel as real as possible. And special effects, CGI effects to drive the story
0: forward. Well, James Cameron is one person before the movie starts, and is another person when the movie begins. A really great asset to have this kind of a strong vision and determination and passion and talent, but don't get in his fucking way.
1: The success of Terminator One, they they've been planning to do a sequel pretty much straight after, but they effectively had to wait for effects to catch up with his his vision. But there was also the complications of rights. Terminator 1 was made with Cameron's ex-wife, Gail Ann Hurd, who is still a very successful producer. She's um, one of the producers on The Walking Dead, and she's produced a a fair amount of blockbusters. She produced uh, Aliens with with James Cameron as well. But come the late 80s, they had grown apart and obviously... As we've discussed, James Cameron was currently shacked up with Catherine Bigelow. So he wasn't on good terms with Gail Anherd, but they managed to put differences aside and the studio Colico Pictures, run by the the very impressively named Mario Cassar. Bought out uh Gail Ann Hood and basically bought out all the rights. So just to make, just
0: to yeah, just to make it all possible.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so that's why there's quite a gap between the two films: te- te- technology and rights. Effectively, in that time, so we're talking, you know, six years. Schwarzenegger's become a household name. Terminator gave birth to his career. But then from then on, he's been playing the hero and his status as an actor, as a celebrity has grown. So in the early 90s, around the same time, he was quite actively, his political intentions were quite active. He was married to uh, Maria Shriver from the Kennedy family, but he was quite an outspoken Republican and was the fitness czar for George Bush Sr. So he was quite active in the media he was playing a hero at the box office and off that sort of the back of that Cameron sort of had the thought well people aren't really going to are going to have trouble accepting arnold as a villain again how can i twist that expectation on its head so they were playing around with different ideas one of the ideas was that it was going to be too Arnold's so a good T eight hundred versus a bad T eight hundred, but they scrapped that idea um, because again, yet yeah, Cameron really wanted to push with this idea of the T one thousand, this you know morphing liquid metal villain. Then, quite bizarrely, at one point they briefly considered making Michael Bean, who played Kyle Reese in the first Terminator, as the T one thousand. So, wow. he, so he would,
0: would play. Have been,
1: so would he would be completely nuts. Exactly. So basically reversing the roles. So the hero and the villain from the first film swap roles. They then realised, for the average Joe, that's probably too confusing. And then, obviously, they discovered a an up-and-coming actor, Robert Patrick, who Cameron had seen playing a hired goon in Die Hard 2, and cast him as a T-1000, which kind of went back to his original idea for The Terminator was, before he met Arnie, Cameron's idea for The Terminator was... A robot assassin that could blend into the crowd, that could be, you know, would walk, could get through any crowd, and sort of like an unseen assassin. But on meeting Arnie, who was actually um, auditioning for the role of Kyle Reese, they started talking, and then he was like, "Actually, it could be really interesting to have you as the villain."
0: So, you look like a machine.
1: <laughs> well, that's it, um, and it's not—he's not so subtle. But anyway, it, it kind of it, it played out quite well. That Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity, or remorse, or fear. And it absolutely will not stop. Ever. Until you
0: are dead.
1: So, considering how much of a a low-budget film Terminator 1 was, and they were basically filming through the night, they were cutting corners left, right and centre, a complete contrast for the action set pieces, the special effects, uh arnie's salary alone made terminator 2 at the time the most expensive blockbuster ever made a record that cameron would continually go on to break and reclaim for himself so obviously titanic was the most expensive film ever made and i think avatar was one of the most expensive films ever made but yeah i say he's always trying to to you know push himself and push push the budget.
0: So, because if... I can remember us talking about this at the time. I can remember us having the conversation about how much Arnie was earning per word because his it was all published, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so his fifteen million dollars salary across a total of seven hundred words of dialogue meant he was paid twenty one and a half thousand dollars per word. So wow. As to La Vista, that sentence cost eighty six grand.
0: I bought a car with that.
1: (laughs) Well, you joke, um, as part of his, uh, on top of his $15 million salary, he was given a Gulfstream jet by producer Mario Kassar. And they're estimated to be around 15 million pounds.
0: Maybe it happened more
1: than we know. Maybe, but... In Arnold's autobiography, which did, did I tell you? I, I have just finished reading.
0: He, <laughs> uh,
1: he used it to, I say, he was fitness czar for, for George Bush Jr. So he was flying all over the country and meeting with all these, these different centres. And it sort of helped him uh, effectively uh, create the foundations of his political career.
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, the only thing I would say is I, I just remember at the time when it came out, you know, because uh, we saw this together in the cinema, that there was a lot of talk about how much money had been spent on it. And it was, to be completely honest, I think I was like about 12 years old. I didn't, I don't even know how much money that is. It was kind of that reaction to stuff being banded about. But when people are using millions here, millions there, but then they were finishing off the sentence with, this is the most expensive film Ever made as a 12 year old, it just made me even more excited. And then when you watch the film and you see those effects and not only just the plot is great, but it's this, it's what Cameron is now very well known for. He is a very visual, visceral director. You know, he, he cares so much about the visual experience that we get to see. And so even though we spent like we just did in Batman in the last episode, talking a lot about production, he's made the two or three, I think he's in the top ten, he's got three films in the top ten highest-grossing films of all time because of the amount of work he puts in the production.
1: Much longer production period than uh, Terminator 1, just due to the budget, the set pieces. Due to financial commitments, they had to make sure it was ready in time for uh, summer of 1991, I think it was July 4th weekend, you know, Independence Day. As a result, they were right against it. So what Cameron did was, which is quite unheard of, he was filming during the week, and then he was editing the film at weekends. So he was editing the film as it went on. On the go.
0: Wow.
1: So, yeah, quite unheard of. To Usually, in most cases, people film all their stuff, and then it goes into post-production where they edit it and put it all together. But I think it's kind of what we touched on in Predator, that... They had a bit of a break and they started editing. And it sometimes helps the story to say, okay, this is what we got, you know, because you kind of don't have to do that whole period of reshoots because you sort of, you're editing on the fly and you can reshoot on the fly. This hype machine is building up. The whole idea of seeding uh, Schwarzenegger is, you know, he's back, but this time he's the good guy. Um, But they did, um, again, you know, we touched on in the last episode on the the sort of beginnings of the teaser trailer. So this had a a special uh, teaser trailer filmed for it. So Stan Winston, who's behind all the Terminator effects, was given 150 grand by Jim Cameron and uh, was told, yeah, you go and make this teaser trailer do whatever you want. And it's a great teaser trailer. Just It's basically the Terminator production line just to show sort of, you know, the, the exoskeleton and then goes in the machine and it comes out and it's Arnie. We'll put it on the blog, but yeah, it's, it's a great example of having unique content that's made that doesn't feature in, in the final film. I suppose the only other thing is uh, bringing back Linda Hamilton as uh, a Sarah Connor, this time, you know, as... The sort of the woman that knows that the world is is likely to go to shit and nobody believes her. For this sort of battle scarred warrior woman, she went through months of training with Israeli commandos, personal trainer. She learned how to pick locks, judo. She really went method and did a lot of preparation for her role of Sarah Connor.
0: It shows. You broke my arm. 215 bones in the human body that's one i think we've covered everything we need to do let's let's dive into this film so we ha- we have we've got a cold open wouldn't you say george or in in marvel t- terminology opening credits sting <laughs> yeah yes
1: yeah, so, so, something like that so i think in in the original terminator it's been a while since i've seen it but there's a bit of prologue there's a bit of text on screen and then throughout the film, you got to see sort of snippets of Kyle Reese in the apocalyptic future of Los Angeles 2029. So the film opens. This is, is, you know, it's a great opening. It cuts from present day 1991, L.A. Freeway, everyone's stuck in traffic.
0: Having a great time, <sighs> sweating in their cars, stuck in seven lanes of traffic. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a
1: establishing shot of Michael Bay. It's, you know, a... A, like a very orange, hazy sunset, LA freeway jam packed with with traffic, with machines subtext, <laughs> machines everywhere. Quickly cuts to a fla- flashes forward to the apocalyptic LA of twenty twenty nine, and seeing the Skynet has taken over. You know the world. The machines are are now ruling the planet, and it's a fantastic opening. Cameron did a great deal on a limited budget with Terminator 1 uh, showing this future war but it's really great to see what you can do with a much bigger budget without it making it feel completely different
0: yeah, he keeps the same look and feel, but it's the sound effects. And it's just, I mean, the music in itself. But we all know that Chase music that that he's taken from the first film. but And it's that sort of like this weird strings sort of thing. But I just think it's like the story is so... It's so prophetic. Is it prophetic? prophylactic? I'm having a philanthropist moment. Prophetic. But, yeah, but it's just so well done. It's just like... And that first scene of the Terminator stepping and crushing the human skull. It's like, okay.
1: So I I think um, you'll agree with me on this, that this depiction of the future war, it's something that the sequels have gone at great lengths to have revisited. Obviously, uh, Terminate Salvation spends its whole time, the whole story is based in this future war. But Mm -hmm. none of the sequels have managed to match this, have they?
0: No, they haven't even come close. And it's really sad considering he'd thrown them such a bone. You know, he said, look, mm-hmm. this is what it's like. There's these, I don't even know what they're called, but these kind of like these, you know, the, the drones. They're known as hunter killers, apparently. Yeah, the, those things flying about. And even the way they explode, it looks, you can tell that it's a real physical object. It's a model, you know, and it looks amazing.
1: Again, it's like we're talking about with uh, with Batman. You know the uh, attention to model work and integrating them with CGI with rear projection. Those Terminators you see at the start are full, fully made. You know animatronic models made by Stan Winston. So you know they're not CGI. I actually watched uh, the other night the opening of Terminator Genesis, uh, where they basically yeah, try and recreate this future war. And it's so CGI. It feels like a video game. It's so over the top. It's just it's just not right. Whereas this feels gritty. It feels real. It feels tangible. Yeah. So you've got the future war. Then it cuts back to present day with the arrival of the Terminators.
0: No, no, because we have, well, yeah. And then you have the, the scene, you have the music. And I mean, we should just talk for a second, just the fact that it's just flames and a Terminator coming towards you. I don't know, I don't want to spend too much time with it, but it's an amazing just the dun-dun-dun. And then it closes on a...
1: Well, that, that that's where um that's where the whole idea came from. The so, uh, the whole concept of the Terminator came as a fever dream to James Cameron. So he was in Italy making Piranha 2 and was full of flu or something like that and had this fever dream of this metal skeleton trying to walking through the flames to try and grab him and that's crazy and he woke up and started writing and that's what evolved into Terminator. so that is that that motif was yeah came to him in a dream bizarrely um,
0: and then we go we go straight into the film and like it's machines trucks phones pressure things everything machines everywhere
1: yeah, again, it's it, you've got, throughout this film, you've got that element of repetition. There's a lot of callbacks to Terminator 1. Um, so, yeah, in this, so Arnie's T-800 turns up at a, a biker bar. Um, we're led to believe, despite the sort of the, the heavy marketing that seeded, you know, the whole role reversal, you know. This time, Schwarzenegger's the good guy. Um, <laughs> you're, you're completely. It's very ambiguous. You are led to assume that this is the same, same version of the T800 from Terminator One that he is programmed to kill, um, and he's back.
0: You, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. Maybe he starts bad, and they make him good. So you, you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know that he's going to be good at some point in the film, but maybe he's going to, you know, hmm. have be turn, you know, change later on. So it's done very well. He's brought into this bar and it's an iconic scene that has gone on to be, it's been parodied in The Simpsons. It's been parodied God knows how many times that whole, that whole thing, but it's just an amazing. Well, well that
1: whole, that, that, that line, give me your clothes, your boots and your motorcycle is one of the yeah. most famous quotes from this film but yeah it's again, it's that repetition, it's that ridiculousness of a naked guy walking into in the first one he encounters three punks uh in this one he walks into a crowded bar, and everyone's you know full of gnarly sort of big burly bikers, and they're all taking the piss out of him, big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> quite... I don't know if you've seen the the behind-the-scenes footage, but, you know, obviously he's walking through this bar and everyone's looking down at Arnie's junk and going, you know, and the waitress is like, ooh! Um, And everyone's just, like, laughing because he's naked, but in reality Arnie's wearing the most, like, loudest board shorts you've ever seen. They're, like, bright (laughs) purple and green board shorts, so that's... He's getting the desired effect of everyone's, like, looking down going, what the fuck are you wearing? (laughs)
0: But getting back to the film, it's just that bit of him walking around and it's chopping between everybody looking at him and then how he sees the room and he's it's scanning. He's scanning. Scanning. And you've got the, like, you've got the 90s computer graphics, which they've kept it from the original Terminator, but it just makes even more sense now because of machine. We're designing a machine. We're not talking about Steve Jobs, Apple type of user interface, it would just be the most basic sort of noughts and ones. And I just love how the camera's going. And when it's doing everybody's matches, and it's just going on their size, and it's like, no, I need somebody. And it's like, Arnie, there's nobody the exact same size as you in the world Mm. you know if you look at him you know like in terms of how wide he is and how tall he is you know um anyway i'm getting off topic but it's it's a great scene i love the attention to detail in that where um they do make the mistake of trying to take him down and the guy that he's after um when he throws him into the kitchen and the guy lands on the on the stove on the hogs and and he's there for a second and then it's like and it's it looks so realistic because you, you see him he's knocked out and then he's like like, oh my God, I'm burning all over. Yeah. So,
1: there's one thing I, I realized uh, when I saw it at the, because I went and saw it for the 3D re release um, literally a week or so ago, and they've remastered it in 4K. So, the print looks amazing, and you know, the picture's so high, they've cleaned it up. Uh, brighten the colours and everything, and Arnie looks amazing. <laughs> you know he's yeah. obviously in in peak condition, and I think this is one of the probably one of the last films where he's required to to be seen like you know with his shirt off and everything. But yeah, he looks fantastic in, in that role. Arnie looks a bit like a fat old lady these days. <laughs> uh, don't get this wrong, Arnie. I love you, big guy. I love you. Let's let's go to Robert Patrick. Uh, (laughs) um, so the other terminator appears again it's it's very clever because you don't you immediately realize who you just you think this could be the carl reese character this could be the hero because the policeman turns up you see him punch the policeman but you don't see him effectively stab him and it yeah. does, You don't hear any sort of like sheathing metallic noise. <gasps> and then, yeah, and then and then he's wearing the policeman's outfit, so you assume he's stolen his clothes. But apparently, yeah. um, one of the the minor edits that James Cameron has made for this three D um, re release, this conversion, when Robert Patrick uh, turns up and is leaning over the policeman to pick up his gun. Apparently, in the 4K remastering, you can clearly see his ball bag, his ball sack, sticking out between his legs. So what they've done is they've done a bit of a George Lucas, and they've put a very strategically placed bit of CGI rubble to cover up his modesty. So, um, And even um, uh, Robert Patrick even talks about it in uh, in an Empire podcast recently, so...
0: I wonder I wonder if he had to sign a release form. Do you give permission for your Johnson? Uh, yeah, I, I think he's I think he's quite proud of it.
1: Say, that's a nice break. But I forgot how good Robert Patrick is in this. I mean, I've I I you know, this is one of my favourite films of all time, and I, I do watch it regularly, but it's probably been at least a couple of years since I last watched it. And you forget how creepily charming he is, you know, con- compared to Arnie's sort of monosyllabic, you know,
0: Sarah Connor. And- oh, he's clearly, clearly version 2.0. And yeah, as you say, he's thinner, limber, so quick. And yeah, he's got personality. No, but it was, it's,
1: it's, it's the whole point where he goes up to John Connor's foster parents. And he's like, have you got a photo of John? <laughs> and he's like, He's a good looking boy. Yeah, it's so creepy. And then there's sort of the like, oh yeah, the other guy's been looking for him as well. It's like, oh, you don't need to worry about him.
0: I'll um, take care of him. <laughs> and yeah,
1: and it makes Arnie look like a caveman in comparison. And as you say, it is like a a software update. You know, they they have to assimilate, they have to, you know, be you know, for assimilating into the crowd more, be be friendlier instead of more less robotic. So, yeah, we're introduced to both Terminators are after John Connor. We're introduced to John Connor and his best mate, who I'm just going to call Mullet Head.
0: George, we need to talk, I think, I don't know, do we have a mullet warning? There are a lot of, this is, I think we'll just call this, this is mullet example number one.
1: I mean, it's 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 quite a, a snapshot of the sort of late eighties, early nineties, because you've got the ginger mullet, he's got a denim waistcoat, tie dye. What's on the
0: stereo, Charlie? What's playing? Same thing that's on his t-shirt. Guns and Roses. gun, you damn right at it. Is. <laughs> you could <can> be mine. <laughs> awesome. Which awesome.
1: which uh, throughout that scene where him and John Connor they they go to the cash point, they go to the mall.
0: Axel Rose is only a few steps behind. They
1: are (laughs) listening to that same song all day long.
0: (laughs) I have a feeling that the singles just come out. I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't want to be a geek or nothing, but I mean, we're talking about like "Use Your Illusion" Volume Two, which came out roughly about the same summer because I think I saw them live. But maybe he just bought the single.
1: May, may, maybe. I think you bought the single as well. I had
0: had both albums, both "Use Your Illusion" one. Which is probably the better. Or was it you and then there was Use Your Illusion 2, which kind of only had You Could Be Mine and November Rain, which were good. All the rest were so so. Anyway, yeah. anyway. we'll cover that we'll cover that in the Guns N' Roses podcast next week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as well as introducing John Connor, we cut to Sarah Connor, who is busy working out, turned to bed on a side and is just doing some pull-ups. She's just, you know, gone is the the ditzy waitress with the perm. Um, You know, I'm no mother of the future to badass warrior woman. And I don't know if it's just me, but I I kind of, you know, found her strangely attractive in that opening scene. She's all sweaty, her hair's messed up. I mean, you know, Linda Hamilton's an, an attractive lady
0: no i find to uh, i thought that throughout uh because i'm a manly man and i'm allowed to feel <laughs> that way um, but, uh, i have feelings i I am entitled to feel that way i thought that she was both seductive badass but um just to just to bring this into current uh affairs james cameron cameron has recently spoken out uh saying that as good a film as wonder woman is it does not put the the feminist cause forward at all because yes it's a film about women but you've got Wonder Woman dressed like it's, she looks like she's been dressed by a man because she you know she looks a certain way but Linda Hamilton and what James Cameron did that is that is sisters doing it for themselves that is a badass and an amazing mother and she she's hot and it's not just being a badass she there's something about her you know there's
1: there's definitely something about her because James Cameron would go on to have an affair with her and marry her, make her his third (laughs) wife.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, if you've got a good thing... (laughs) Or
1: I might have even said in Point Break that he has as many ex-wives as there are Avatar sequels on the horizon. We then get to the reveal of the Terminators, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, after a a thrilling uh, intro to this thing known as an arcade. What are these arcade machines? (laughs)
0: <laughs> but all of the films that he's playing it's like so oh this is going to be useful this is how you become a supreme military commander because you played Afterburner and that other game
1: <laughs> <A> Missile <laughs> so, missile Command um, yeah. but off the back of uh, my trivia in last month's episode for, for Batman we have some new location trivia um, so this mall uh, that they or the Galleria as they refer to it is the same mall where they filmed previous Arnie blockbuster hit, Commando. Wow. It's uh, known as well, the, the Sherman
0: Oaks Galleria. So it is actually called the Galleria, George. So and they it, weren't just being
1: cute. They weren't just being cute, but, you know, we would call it, some of us would call it a shopping centre, some of it would call it shopping mall, um, some of it would just call it, you know, that place a go on the weekend.
0: G- uh, exactly, or the Metro Center. Metra center, uh, yeah. So yeah, we get to see the
1: the first reveal, um a nice callback to what's Arnie doing? How's Arnie smuggling in his weapon, Charlie? He's got his gun in some roses. You could be my
0: I I must have spotted that before. Yeah, I think we've talked about that before, but it's been a long time, so yeah, sorry that's just gone over my head.
1: Um yeah, it's it's a great reveal of, you know, um them both facing off there's some great product placement as well because there's the guy that gets caught up as a human shield between the Terminators and gets shot loads of times. (laughs) Yeah, but he's holding a can of Pepsi. Then John Connor bursts through the doors past a massive Pepsi vending machine. I think Pepsi's throughout this film, um, but it's quite key in the first... uh, It plays a pivotal part. Again, you could say it's machines, but, you know.
0: Yeah, more and more Uh, machines
1: that is the start of a very good action scene you've got that first face off in the mall it quickly turns into foot chase you quickly get to see how fast the t1000 can run uh, you know as opposed to arnie's lumbering t800 this guy is scarily fast and then it turns into a great vehicle chase truck versus bike with another bike in pursuit
0: but it is—it's a chase movie, you know. Like the first one, it does, even though it has kind of hot genres. It's still a chase, you know, from start to finish.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it, it's a—it's a cracking chase scene, and, um, you know, from that whole sort of jumping down into the storm drain, you know, we talked about last month about that preparation that Arnie went through for flipping the shotgun round his hand whilst riding a bike the amount of prep that, you know, he was literally tearing his fingers apart to get it right to make sure it looked as cool as possible, but also fitted with the character, it looked as robotic and machine like as possible, because he's he's literally steering the bike, flipping the gun, shooting locks, you know, it's all very precise and it has to look
0: perfect. And even on those little bits, they've even CGI'd his face in the recent version as well. I noticed that. Yeah, well.
1: there's the the infamous bit where he come he jumps down into the storm drain, they've in obviously in the original cut, it's a very obvious stunt man, and then there's a bit where he undertakes the the T one thousand in his truck to pick up John Connor again. They've mapped. Digitally mapped Arnie's face onto the stuntman. You know, hats off to James Cameron. He hasn't done, you know, the whole George Lucas and and inserted random CG, more Terminators and more, you know, bits. He could go overboard, but he's literally just. No, it's just been tiny little bits. Yeah, tiny adjustments that just make it a a, a less, you know, less errors effectively. And I I think it's the other thing that I, I sort of forgot about is how good is Arnie with his until John Connor tells him to become, you know, to to lighten up and to become more human, um, how robotic he is. So when John Connor's chatting to him saying, oh, everything my mum said is true, everything, you know, she wasn't lying the whole time. And Arnie's just sitting scanning side to side, just scanning the area and yeah, he's always, the he's like always, that. always just reloading his shotgun without looking at the gun. And there's yeah. just so many little bits that, he's brilliant at until he's obviously required to sort of start taking on more human characteristics and I also thought it is quite clever with how they slowly reveal the t one thousands powers because it's all sort of, okay yeah he's absorbing the bullets and can morph back into it but then you see that he can actually take on the appearance uh, of other people. He can turn his arms into blades and, and you know, the, the fact he can't just be blown up like the first Terminator could. So it's all quite quickly sort of established, you know, this guy, he should really be scared of it. There is really a threat against, you know, you used to think Terminator 1, he was the unstoppable killing machine, but with enough firepower, he could be blown up with this. This liquid metal machine cannot be stopped. And it's quite a it's it's a brilliant you know it's a brilliant villain isn't
0: it? Ah, oh, they do a brilliant job of just completely reversing the problem that was in the first film, is that oh we just need to have we can crush him or we can stop him we just need to lock him in a box. Whereas this one, he'll get out of anything he can replicate anyone. And I think if I remember correctly the the entire the rating of the film hinged on i don't remember her name but vasquez from aliens when she does that knife into our friend uh Xander um zander berkeley Xander berkeley a, re- a recurring feature on this podcast that that was what needed the 15 rating, because that's the most graphic. Oh, no, no, no. That-
1: You're also forgetting about the other T-1000 kill, where he spikes the guy through the eye with his finger. Yes. Yeah. You're going to give us some, some twin trivia. Where where have we seen those? Because um, that's not CGI effects. They are, that when the T-1000 assumes the role of the security guard at the mental asylum, it's actually two people, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because I mean that 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 scene that we're moving on to is is a great scene. But then you you think the attention to detail that you know w- what you want to have is that you know this T one thousand is able to replicate people. So obviously there's mirroring. They've been doing this for years, but it's like let's get twins. I know I've seen these guys from Gremlins, Gremlins too. So you know the, I I remember this incorrectly that this these guys were brought in just for this one scene. But there's actually quite a lot. There's quite a few scenes with them together. Like not only do they stand in front of each other, but he kills him and then he drags him away and he takes his gun off and then he's walking around. So those those twins made um, quite a lot of money out of two films just for being twins.
1: in, In the early 90s alone, we've already moved on to another great set piece, quite an extended bit of storytelling. And you've got that great twist of, as Sarah thinks she's made her escape, she runs into and she thinks what we should have all thought without seeing the trailers it's an evil Terminator
0: and she Yeah, thinks, she didn't see any of the trailers she,
1: she, 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 she's, Charlie, she's been in a mental asylum of course she hasn't seen any trailers <laughs> <laughs> um, But that, I, I still think like that bit where Arnie turns up and just starts throwing around the orderlies through doors into windows is pretty graphic even though he's been programmed not to kill he's just making sure that they're very very badly injured (laughs) In (laughs) here live and then again getting into to the chasing get in the car t1000's running after them So they're they're both shooting at him uh still running after them and then jumping onto the car with his long spiky arms that was
0: some great effects
1: Great effects that was brilliantly parodied in The Simpsons, where Homer's chasing after Ned Flanders' car with his golf clubs. Is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when he comes through the bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've talked about the mental asylum, but have we talked about the amount of mullets in the
0: mental asylum? George, yeah, I mean, we've got to do another mullet, mullet Another mullet alert, because it starts creeping in. Obviously, yeah, you, you think, you know, Eddie Furlong's character's best friend. You, you know, it's the 90s. You're going to have a friend who's got a mullet. But there's that. We didn't talk about it at the time, George, because I didn't realize how much of a mullet problem there was. But every single guy that the um, t 1000 speaks to. Like when he's looking for John Connor, they all have mullets. Like, <laughs> the, no, trust me. If you watch this film again, just just start counting. We're talking like double figure mullets. So then you get to the the asylum, and the woman on reception who looks like she smokes about a hundred thousand cigarettes a day, she's got a mullet. And then as we move through from scene to scene and it escalates, the security woman, uh, also the one, you know... the
1: one with the cast. She's yes, got, she's got yeah. an arm in a cast. I'm. I yeah. was trying to work out is that. Some storytelling, is thats is Sarah broken her arm or is it just, you've got a great mullet, it doesn't matter, your arm's in a cast, we'll will we'll put you in the role anyway.
0: I like to think that that is the, the, not, the, that, 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 that actually happened in real life from when she hits Arnie's sunglasses. The, the first time that she did that, Arnie went nuts and that's why her <laughs> arm's in a cast. That's that's what I like to tell myself. But yeah, so you've got her, she has a mullet, but it's gelled back. Business at the front,
1: party at the back. Yes. Yeah.
0: The other thing that we skirted over, those when John Connor first realizes he's got his own walking, talking Terminator, the two guys who come over. Oh, who you call no, some
1: shit. There's some more He's there. got a
0: massive mullet. Okay, so I'm just, just saying that this film is all about machines, machines and mullets. <laughs> machines and mullets and Axl Rose. <laughs>
1: Who well didn't have a mullet, but he had he had long hair
0: sure she had many bullets, many different I, types.
1: I actually remember um a few years ago on the train back home, and it was like nine nine o'clock at night and um, you drunkenly sending me screenshots, you were obviously watching Terminator 2, and you were just sending me pictures of mullets from <laughs> Terminator 2, just with <gasps> nothing but the word,
0: mullet! And it was like... They're everywhere in this film, I never... Maybe they were part of the, you know, public lexicon at the time, but they just floated by, but... The nineties, the early nineties. I mean, the, where were these mullets in Point Break? Well, it, I mean, Swayze has one, but maybe he doesn't. He just looks like he's got long hair. They just didn't seem as present in Point Break as they are in this film.
1: I don't know. S- Swayze's mullet doesn't really abide by normal rules. It's kind of like <laughs> king, king of the Mullets. But uh, for, for for more chat about Point Break, check out our other episode. Yeah. So there's some great pacing throughout. I think that's like that's what's very good about this film is that you've got, there's a lot of exposition to get through and they are quite clever with making Arnie the exposition machine, you know tell us about, how does Skynet happen who's Miles Dyson and Arnie's doing that sort of recounting whilst driving. First
0: Tim Berners- well Tim Berners- Lee had just created the internet so he should have started there like I did
1: (laughs) Is Brian Adams still at number one? (laughs) The last one, you know, Genesis, is just making... Arnie is just, re- like, reduced to a walking exposition machine of, okay, now I'm going to make a a time machine, then we're going to go forward because the time has not been set. And it's just like, it serves a function in this film, and it does it really well. But I think the pacing between the different set pieces, you know, you've got the, the that storm drain chase... The mental asylum breakout. Then you've got a little bit of downtime in the desert. So you've got. We haven't really. We haven't touched on the special edition version, have we?
0: No, we haven't, because there's quite a lot of it in this. In these scenes where they where they turn him off, they're taking his bullets out. They reset the processor, don't they? Processor. Pass- yeah. So
1: um, in the theatrical cut, they just. He just John Connor says, you know, can you learn to become more human? And he's like, oh yeah, it's a learning. My my CPU is a learning system, but in the director's cut, the special edition cut, whatever it's called, the Skynet cut, they actually do when, as you say, when they're fixing Arnie up after the mental asylum breakout, and they're pulling out all his bullets they Sarah and John actually physically take out open up Arnie's head and take out his chip to reset it so he can become yeah reset the system so he can take start learning human characteristics. And then it's a really interesting dynamic between Sarah and John because Sarah immediately gets a chip and goes to smash it and she's like, We can we can end this now. We can't trust this machine. Let's just you and I make a break for it and we'll be done. And it's an interesting character move for John because John takes leadership and he's like, well, no, we need him. He's the only proof we've got. He can protect us. You've always said, I'm going to be this great leader. Can you not just trust, you know, start
0: trusting me? It is a great scene. It's surprising they left it out. It is. is, It's a great scene. And I can understand
1: there's a lot of stuff they edited for pacing because it's quite a long film anyway. But it's a cracking scene. And it's also a technically brilliant scene because you've got, Sarah Connor and John operating on Arnie in the mirror and how they've done it they haven't done it through CGI so they've got doubles on the other side of the mirror but Linda Hamilton has a twin sister and so they've got Linda Hamilton acting as Sarah Connor's um, mirror image you've got Arnie who looks like he's in the mirror and they're actually operating on a prosthetic Robotic,
0: aren't he? Yeah, robotic. And it's brilliantly done.
1: And it just goes to show everyone remembers this film for its cracking special effects, but it's got some amazing uh, twin work. Amazing (laughs) twin work, as we've already covered. But it's also got some fantastic uh, practical effects as well. Like, pretty much, this is probably the the pinnacle of practical effects before we moved into. Before we got lazy. Before we, got, before we got lazy, before you know the
0: CGI took over. And that's because I'm I... saying it like that because Star Wars is going back to a mix. Uh, well, that's so it. I think there, there was this lazy period where everything went CGI and we had films like The Phantom Menace. Maybe this was later 90s, but there, there was too much CGI. But this was, I think, as you say, at the pinnacle where everything in the car chases is physical, gun battles are physical, things are exploding, fire is real. But um, the other C- the CGI stuff is for the stuff that just isn't possible, whereas a few years down the line, they started just replacing even things that you could do with a stunt crew. They just start replacing them for- to save money.
1: The thing that annoys me is that everyone talks about the, the, sort of the, the birth of CGI was effectively Jurassic Park, which was 1993. 1990- yeah. It was two years that later.
0: Is- Plus, that is not dated as well as this film.
1: It hasn't dated as well as this film, but again, it's one thing that people picked up on on Jurassic World, which was released two years ago. They said, because Jurassic Park was a mix, again, a mix of prosthetic, you know, uh, animatronics and CGI, that the effects in Jurassic Park hold up better than they do in Jurassic World. And it's kind of the same with, um, well, I suppose they did a little bit with Genesis. They did a little bit of um, practical work with Arnie's face. But again, it's still doing, I think even in Terminator 3, Instead of Arnie having a prosthetic, you know, metal face uh, attached to him with the, you know, an LED eye, they've done it all CGI and it just doesn't look right.
0: We didn't talk about the dream sequence that Sarah Connor has with Michael Bean. And could I just go on record as saying I think every film from the 1990s should have a Michael Bean dream sequence in it?
1: I couldn't get over that the first time. I think I actually saw. first time i saw this special edition i think actually bbc um showed it on telly which is quite a rarity for like you know terrestrial channel to play a director's cut and i was like i don't remember michael bean popping up in terminator 2 and the other thing that shocked me is like he hasn't aged a day i mean i know it's you know, still
0: it's, in still in wardrobe and <laughs> i, 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 I
1: <laughs> jim it's okay i've still got my costume uh, okay mike <laughs> waiting for the call were
0: you <laughs> yeah and let's just say it's better than the extra features because you and i have we both bought the terminator special edition dvds but both terminator 1 and 2 and we've done the same with our blu-rays and we had much fun watching michael bean on the special features on terminator 1 for the sorry the deleted scenes really uh, really
1: pushing his acting range so yeah. some,
0: some would say too far
1: yeah, anyway, so John Um well no, I think it, uh, on that note, I think it speaks volumes that I actually bought Terminator two on Blu-ray because it was on offer before I actually owned a Blu-ray player because I knew that I wouldn't need need it in my life. So yeah, they've they've researched. We've had
0: some downtime. We're now she's now looking to fix the future is all about Dyson and Cyberdyne.
1: Well, no, we've kind of mixed uh, missed the, the little sojourn to south of the border to go and find their friends in mexico Mexico, mexico that have an impressive amount of weapons <laughs> um, yeah. and I've got so many questions about this did did the Mexicans did they believe in Judgment Day or were they collecting guns just in case are, are these the Mexicans that Donald Trump's been warning us about what's what's
0: going on? My interpretation of that was that she, because the way that John Connor introduces it, is that she always goes for military types, guys who've got some military training. <laughs> guys who are and, good with guns. Yeah, so he could learn stuff from them. And my understanding was that that's her cash. That's her weapons cash.
1: Oh, right. Okay. But
0: where she got it all
1: from? I mean, you know, you've got a goddamn minigun in there. <laughs> no, that's some really nice bits because you're seeing um, Arnie bonding with, with John Connor. Or sorry, I keep calling him Arnie, but the T- T-800, uh, Uncle Bob bonding with John <laughs> Connor. You've got some, I would say, uh, some of the weaknesses of this film is the fact that it just randomly decides to drop in some Sarah Connor voiceover, even though it's not, the whole film's not from her perspective. You know, there's bits where she's not yeah. in it. And then it's all of a sudden, oh, you know, I mean it makes sense. Them...
0: She's at the beginning. She's at the beginning. She does the voiceover at the start. And then
1: <laughs> and then all of a sudden halfway through, it's the, you know, this was finally a, you know, a father figure John could believe in. He would never drink, he would never hit him, he would never say he didn't have time for him. And it they are very valid points and it really drives home the the emotional core of the story, but I would say, you know, to be critical, they kind of choose to. Oh yeah, let's just chuck in some more Sarah Connor voiceover to make sense, or, or to really hammer it home.
0: I didn't mind them. to be No, honest. no, I I think...
1: no. I'm be, I'm being uber critical because I re, I say we've I'm watched watch,
0: this film a thousand times. Yeah, and
1: I love this film so much. Mm. It is pretty. It pretty much is a perfect blockbuster. If there's there's a few weaknesses in there, but it is pretty much it hits the right points. And then it jumps into. Sarah's, well, speaking of Sarah's monologue, it jumps into her nuclear holocaust, well, the nuclear fallout dream, which is yeah.
0: terrifying. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, very scary because it's so realistic. I'm, I'm not wanting to sound all nerdy, but the whole idea of um, robots walking on the dust of our bones is actually very possible (laughs) you know yeah so i mean this does run close to i mean it's probably far off i don't think we are ever gonna but it's 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 woven into the consciousness of what could possibly happen
1: well apparently they went to a lot of they did a lot of research to sort of try and factor in what a nuclear explosion destruction what would it what effect it would have on buildings on people and some Apparently, the, the some
0: researchers has said it's a very accurate depiction of what could happen. I and, never forget those images. Never forget them. Of the buses just being blown inside out and the buildings, just the wave coming across. And ev- everything I've seen, every other stock footage or computer graphical thing of what a nuclear thing, it all looks like that.
1: Well, so, yeah, it's even like her, the text, her, her dialogue, children turning into burned paper. And it's... Yeah and obviously we're we're now both uh, both fathers and it's a lot more poignant when you've got kids yourself and you're seeing you've got scenes of like a kids play park and kids just you know, turning to ash. It's you know, where quite...
0: George and I spend most of our time as fathers. As, as <laughs> fathers, as
1: fathers. But yeah, it's, it's it's you know really disturbing scenes, and it really has a uh, an emotional a gut punch.
0: Effectively, it's it's the risk, George. It's it's what's at risk. It's what we're running from. It...
1: But the the interesting thing between Terminator One, and Terminator Two, is the fact that the first one is a it's a chase movie. It is a bit a basically a bit like a it is a a horror. It's all about the fight to survive. This one they're trying to save the world. So they're trying to stop the world from being destroyed. So the stakes are so much bigger. And that's why Sarah, ooh, ooh, uh, you know, plot development, Sarah starts, you know, as the Terminator's becoming more human, she's becoming more robotic and turning into a killer. And that's when she decides to go on a <laughs> a quest to uh take out miles Dyson. I've got, yeah, Assault on the Dysons as is the next scene. You know, we've we've talked about the the role of machines in this film and there's something I forgot about, the fact that you've got that whole sort of slow setup of Miles Dyson doing his typical tapping at a keyboard, tapping at a keyboard, I'm doing important stuff. Sarah's lining up the shots with the red dot. But what saves Miles Dyson? it's a machine it's his son's remote control car that runs into his foot so miles but dyson, it is like, a machine it's yeah. a machine that saves miles dyson but i think um we've got to talk about uh the guy that plays miles dyson joe morton he's a sort of a character actor that's popped up in, in bit parts he's really good in this isn't he
0: yeah he's i mean you could say he inhabits the role but i can't see him as anything else when i've seen him in other stuff and I have seen him in other stuff. He was on telly in the nineties, and he He's pops up in here l- Law and Order or something like stuff that. Stuff like that. But we just spent most of our childhood looking at each other, going, do no, <laughs> don't, don't <laughs> no." Anyway, we'll insert the quote instead of doing terrible impressions. I don't know how much
1: longer I can.
0: But um, that's normally when we need the toilet, but childish humor. Uh, but no, that that entire scene, it's setting up. The music's great. The setup is great. And his role, um, you know, when, I don't know, this film means more to me each time I see it. You know, the there's certain things that obviously when I watched it the first time, I was just like, action, chase, Arnie, gunfire, explosions, explosions. But this time you're like, oh, my God, that scene when Arnie takes his arm off. And reveals the thing that he's been working mm-hmm. on. And then and then just as Sarah Connor says, he just lays it out from step by step that you are responsible for pretty much the end of for World War Three. You know, and then what he what is his character, how it develops after that, and how he still kind of like devils into it, you know, saying, Well, this this chip was teaching us things that we'd never seen before, but then he keeps pulling himself back. Well, it all has to be destroyed. It's, it's brilliantly done. I think it's, yeah, a, no, it's,
1: it, it's a really trusting twist on the sort of the mad scientist character mm-hmm. and the fact that it's not like, but yeah, you know, we're making a breakthrough and he suddenly just, as soon as it's all laid out to he's him, a like family this, man. You know, yeah. as you say, as soon as it's all laid out to him, he's like, Oh fuck! <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, I think I'm going to throw up. Yeah, we have to
0: destroy everything. But he's still reminiscent as he's going through and destroying stuff, and some of the scenes they've taken yeah, out the as him sort of
1: like being, oh, let's be careful, getting out the thing and getting out the hand and the chip and stuff. But yeah, then we get onto that that whole cyberdyne sequence again. It's just a phenomenal action sequence that keeps on going. You've got the whole setup of them slowly infiltrating it. And then, obviously, the silent alarms get raised. They release every single policeman in LA.
0: <laughs> it's, it's Just like, send everything you've got in the area. It's it's
1: it's, it's the guy and the woman. Yeah,
0: um, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's.
1: Um, and then you get the the whole yeah the whole set piece of Arnie going to town with a goddamn minigun. Yeah, and not killing
0: anybody. Not, Although killed, not a lot of not, cars were killed. Not <laughs> point zero casualties, uh, but I think a hundred point, a hundred percent of yeah. all cars were destroyed.
1: There, there's, yeah, there's a lot of. I've just got my notes. gunishment. because it's, it's sort of like even when he runs out of bullets, he's like, right, okay, uh, got the grenade launcher. I'll just. <laughs> Just start cracking away with that, Charlie. What haven't we touched on which what guest role have we got? Is another it's a retro ramble hero
0: Dean Norris, the least that you expect it's from starship troopers. I mean obviously you kids all know him from breaking bad. But Breaking Bad, just to put things in perspective, Breaking Bad started in, what was it, two thousand and ten, I think? That was Dean Norris's big break. That is what's made put him into, I would say, like a B-list actor, making money, or that that made him his money. But you've got to understand that like in nineteen ninety one you know, he, 19 years previous, he was making films like this. He was making films. He was just a busy man, a reliable man, and we're very happy. That, you don't even see his face, but you know it's Dean. You know, and do you course.
1: know who who else he is that I uh, forget about? Um, another Arnie film.
0: He's um Total Recall. I oh, know, but he's in Total Recall. Yeah, you've got a lot of nerve showing that face around here. Look with darking. <laughs>
1: You've got that whole set piece. You've got, some re- again, some really nice callbacks to Terminator 1. You've got, you know, Arnie's doing the I'll be back bit. But instead of him crashing through the police station, he crashes through in the SWAT van to save them. The T-1000 taking Arnie's lines, you know, jumping onto a helicopter and telling him to get out. There's, yeah, there's some really nice bits in that. And then, again, you immediately launch into... Another set piece, you've got the freeway chase. Terra, again, being a bit of a badass, trying to take out the helicopter. But In terms of practical points, you've got that whole point where the helicopter flies under the underpass. Yeah, it's amazing. So that was a real stunt that was done, and apparently the camera team refused to shoot it because they thought it was too unsafe. So James Cameron filmed that himself. Got somebody to drive, but he's actually filming that stunt because he was determined to get it. Apparently the other bit of trivia is that that whole sequence of the freeway chase—they had to light the entire stretch of freeway, which I think was like a few miles—and they had to call in every single light and bit of cable that was available in Hollywood. They literally went to every studio to get so to ensure that the lighting was perfect for that whole scene. Again, just shows the sort of the dedication of James Cameron of getting that perfect shot. And again, callbacks to to T one. You've got the the truck,
0: the uh, cat you know, and mouse. Yeah, sorry, cat, the, the, yeah. the tortoise, the tortoise and the hare.
1: Well, yeah, just as you think, you know, they've taken out the helicopter, they're getting away. It's sort of like, no, he's getting. You know, we need we need to keep moving. We need to keep moving. And then you launched into the steel mill, the liquid nitrogen. And I, I think before this film, I've never heard of liquid nitrogen. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's always the other thing that comes to mind when someone says liquid nitrogen,
0: like Terminator 2. And the person just looks at you and says, yes, George, it's exactly like Terminator 2. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've got a repetition from Terminator 1 of that machinery, but it's a steel mill. But even though it's all effects, you can almost feel the heat, can't you? All that it's molten, done very well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's done really well. Again, I think there's there's bits in the extended sequence after the T-1000's been frozen.
0: He's having trouble.
1: Yeah, he starts fucking up, essentially, doesn't he? he starts, like, getting stuck to stuff unintentionally.
0: Yeah, he's so. not working this liquid metal sort of, but it starts not working. I mean, it's a crazy concept to get your head around, but all you need to understand from these scenes is that he is he has been taking damage and it kind of i think raises the stakes because it makes you think that well how are they going to stop him how are they going to yeah. stop him and it's like oh he is ha- he has actually been taking damage so
1: well that's the thing it's sort of like i again i forget you, you forget how much of a beating arnie takes off him in that steel mill getting his face smashed against the thing he gets his yeah. arm ripped off and you're like Fuck, they're they're gonna lose, aren't
0: they? But Arnie still makes it out. Still yeah. walks away from the T1000. He still he still
1: makes it out. There's apparently there's um, obviously with time travel there's a lot of plot holes. But the main plot hole that I've never realised, but I've read about it. You know, from doing my research, apparently the scene where t 1000s torturing Sarah Connor and he's saying "Call for John, call for John." Why doesn't he do that himself? He can mimic yeah. her, he can do a voice. But it's, again, it's a great scene, it's a great moment of tension. Then you launch into the whole bit of using twins. You've got, I think, uh, Linda Hamilton's sister turns up again when you've got two Sarah Connors in shot. Yeah. And then you've got Sarah Connor doing her... Well,
0: amazing work with a shotgun, Amazing. Which-
1: Amazing work, the shotgun, which goes on to be spoofed brilliantly in, in Hot Shots, where she's pumping <laughs> the shotgun and then the shotgun just flies off and she's just holding the pump action part. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, uh, Hot Shots has actually also got the liquid metal bit with Saddam Hussein, hasn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he moulds together with his dog. <laughs> oh, I need to give that another watch. But it was the 90s, you know, these... these... Very tongue in cheek, very self-aware. I mean, although Tim Berners-Lee had made the internet, uh, it, we didn't know about it. This is how we were sharing pop culture. Films mm-hmm. were referencing other films. That was comedy back then. You know, that was that was your mem. That was your internet joke. That that's where that's what we had back then.
1: True. So yeah, I don't know what what, what else we can say about the ending apart from I don't. I don't really want to talk about the, the thumb and the flames, you know, I, now I know why you cry, because it's, it's, it's quite emotional, okay?
0: It works, though. Shut up, you're crying. I, I, I might be crying a little bit, but I, I think it's worked really well into the film, and I think it's like the fact that they kill him. You know, or that he suggests it. I mean, you kind of know that Sarah's like, we need. She wants say much. She wants to get rid of him. The entire film, sort of thing. <laughs> but they have. They have some. They do have some nice comments in the steel mill where she kind of shows respect at the end. Well, that she yeah exactly so there's 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 those moments but then it's like no i have to it's not that the t because maybe you were thinking oh the t-1000 is going to kill arnie but then sarah's going to save the day it's not it's like they they're all together at the end and they make this decision consciously and john is having to john is getting taught a harsh lesson in sacrifice and sarah can't wait to press that button (laughs) to send him into the flames and um Mm -hmm. and arnie's you know arnie's just going down into the flames so if you're going to go down Go down in flames.
1: Well, it's, it's one thing I mean, we we slightly touched on, but for for a retro ramble podcast, we haven't really discussed it much in detail. But it's how you know again, it's a recurring thing. How good is the soundtrack? You know that drums and
0: clanging. you know that you know that that noise that's made like the ding ding. It's sort of like it sounds like a really a, like electronic string instrument it's this unstoppable force and that's taken obviously in the first terminator but yeah the soundtrack and well, then I
1: think there's it's, uh, the composer is it brad brad friedel um I c I can't think of anything else he's done, but it's such an iconic soundtrack and obviously it's not as eighties syntastic as the first <laughs> one, which is a ding no 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 some great sort of synth chase music, which we can insert later. Again it builds on those themes. It's more operatic, it's more epic, like the film is, and it's it really sends that last scene home with him going being lowered in slowly sacrificed lowered into the flames and yeah it gets me every time
0: it is it's it's a it's a, move, it's a moving piece but it's it's not too cheesy it's not too there's nothing in this film that's too cheesy it's like it's so brilliantly done um mm. you know it's it, it's a real talent you kind of wish that Cameron made more films but i think if he made more films you would lose the Cameron-esque thing, you know, like with he has, as you were saying before, he has to do something different. Like, what well, didn't it, wasn't it with Titanic, they built a model that was a third the size of the actual Titanic, but um, and then with Avatar, with the 3D filming, and then God knows, you know, what he's planning to do with, you know, the next thing. But he's he's always pushing the limits you know further and further so yeah the to, to go back to the music just for i think it's you've got this chase music and this sort of very instrumental percussion but then there is this nice sort of hopeful music you know that that joins it all together
1: it is a cracking soundtrack it's very epic it's very emotional um the terminators you know they've destroyed everything they've destroyed the t1000 they've destroyed it all potentially they've averted skynet then we get to the final scene which is an all cut is them driving on the road and sarah's voiceover if a machine can learn to be human maybe we can all learn to be more human too That was born out of necessity, apparently, because James Cameron had filmed this whole happy ending, which flashed forward to an alternate future where they've changed the the future. Sarah's in the play park. She's an old lady. She's watching John Connor play with... His kids in the in the play park, <laughs> they're all wearing the the nineties 90s...
0: idea of futuristic clothing. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you know, a bit like Bill and Ted's bogus journey. From the you know, they're, <laughs> they're wearing a little bit of like you know, plastic yes. and tinfoil baseball caps and stuff. You know, they've their socks that's tucked the teacher two type thing. Yeah, socks tucked <laughs> into their jeans or stuff like that. Ties with t-shirts. Sarah's wearing this old lady prosthetic, and for for a film that's got such good sort of practical effects, she, she looks a bit like a, a cat lady. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so they filmed this whole scene of of her in the future. John's a senator and Judgment Day's been averted. And the studio, Mario Casa was like, that's a terrible ending. It just doesn't work. James Cameron's like, well, let's just see how it plays in, in test screenings. And all the, all the test screens are like, no, that ending's terrible. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And yeah. this was literally weeks before it was released, because I say there was... Such, yeah, yeah, test screening, yeah. They, they were so up against it to get it released for Independence Day weekend. James Cameron looked through the footage. He's like, what can we reuse? What can we... And there's basically footage before they approach the Cyberdyne building of them driving down the highway dr- driving down the road at night and they had something like 8 seconds of footage where it's just the camera rolling on on the road and he's like okay what dialogue can i write for for Sarah Connor that sums up a a vision of hope in 8 seconds and that's what he did so rung up Linda wow. Hamilton read these lines out we're going to put it over this footage and Whilst he's such a control freak, he's also realizes that sometimes, yeah, it wasn't a perfectly conceived idea. Sometimes you have
0: to work on the fly. Okay, well, I think that brings us to our our monthly feature of Coulda Woulda Shoulda. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda,
1: shoulda. So we've got we've got two interesting castings for potential Coulda Woulda Shouldas. So the first one, I. Didn't know about until I did my research for this episode. So apparently none other than Denzel Washington was approached for the role of Miles Dyson.
0: Wow, probably a bit of a small part for him? Well, No, no, it's quite a big part, I suppose.
1: Quite a big part, and he was on the cusp of becoming an incredible actor, A-list actor. And he even said, he goes, no offence to Jim Cameron, but I read the script and all I thought was... All this guy does is he looks scared and he sweats a lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had to pass. Um, but the the most what the hell were they thinking was apparently James Cameron wanted Billy Idol as in
0: <laughs> white
1: Whoa. wedding as a T 1000 But Billy Idol being a rock star that he is, and managed to injure himself, ironically, in a motorcycle accident. Um, <laughs> and ruled himself out of the role. So that's why they started looking for a, a relative unknown and came across the man with the, the pointy ears, Robert Patrick. Uh, and the ball The man with the pointy ears, bullsack that defined running for a whole generation of males, Robert Patrick.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so... I mean, in terms of how this film st- still stacks up today, I think uh, you don't need to look very far on the internet to to be confirmed that Terminator 2 is probably in the top five of sequels of all time. It's probably in the top 10 of the best action films of all time. And the effects, I think for my money, the effects still look good. They don't look too dated. Um, it's really just the human fashion and the haircuts that make this film look dated this film did brilliantly at the time didn't it George it got a ton of awards and all with good reason
1: the original didn't being a low budget film didn't win much but yeah it won four Academy Awards so best sound editing best sound mixing best makeup and obviously best visual effects it was the highest grossing film of 91 and it's still the highest grossing film of Schwarzenegger's career
0: in terms of anything that you could argue, for me, I don't think there's anything that doesn't work. I don't think there's Apart anything... The, the mullets. I didn't say I had a problem with them. I just said there was a lot of them. <laughs> um, I am all for bringing mullets back. Let's just go for a new look, George. We're going to start a trend. It's going to be mullets, T-shirts, and ties. Okay, That's the future. I've, I've seen it the in a... In, of the a, 90s. I've seen it in a fever dream. No, but in terms of what didn't work is I tell you what didn't work about this film is that James Cameron tied up the story in a beautiful neat bow killed off the terminators finished the story and, the and that closed the loop and there was no need for any other films to ever be made in this film and what was that didn't you tell me there's some quote from uh, even Arnie came out with there's a great interview this was about when Terminator 2 had come out Yeah, it?
1: well this is when, you were, when they were on set so Empire just republished an interview from you know 1991 summer and he even says he goes where else can they go this is it this is the answer <laughs> and those poor studio executives are sitting out trying to figure out how to top it and you know what they can't
0: so there it is that was our review of t2 judgment day george is there anything i mean we've talked we had a very long chat about the production that went behind it we probably had a very self-indulgent chat about everything we love about that film is there anything that we missed out or you think that um you know we should probably just finish up with
1: we, I suppose, should uh, shed a little bit of uh, light or shed our thoughts on the the sequels um, of diminishing returns.
0: Which sequels? I, I can't <laughs> remember them making any sequels. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a real
1: uh, travesty. It sort of it seems like Terminator is the one of the many sort of several franchises that we've been discussing on this podcast that continues to sort of limp along because of its brand recognition. And yeah, the, the sequels are diminishing returns. That's not to say there are some good point, good bits in each of the sequels. I mean, um, it's been a while since I've watched T3. I don't know when was the last time you saw it.
0: Been a, Yeah, it's been a long time. I remember, I th- you know, I think, I don't know if we actually talked about it in that just review there, but um, I remember the ending being quite a shock and being like sneaking up behind you, and but that being the best thing, and, and the rest of it kind of just being, retreading the same points of t2 yeah yeah
1: no I, I agree the the ending's the the most impressive thing of the third one fourth one had promise by trying to focus on the future war but just didn't do you know did not bring the idea to life and didn't really do it justice and then again sort of ended up the ending retreading another sort of warehouse industrial fight in, in in a in a factory
0: but i do think that there was more to like in the fourth than there was in in the third, uh, in the third or in the recent outing uh which i don't think really is anywhere I, I think both three and four are much better than um than this most recent one gen genesis genesis yeah um yeah
1: it's uh genesis uh, is the complete opposite is I think it's like the opening 20 minutes is mildly entertaining because it's doing the back to the future thing by revisiting Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 we've already touched on uh or we may have touched on in the past how badly cast that film is <laughs> um with uh what is it I think uh screen no uh screen junkies on the honest trailers descri- <laughs> described him as the Homeless Man's Channing Tatum, Jai Caught Me. <laughs> well put. Yeah, it's just a mess of the film. So, yeah, um, is it worth now talking about uh, the future of the franchise?
0: Well, yeah, because you were telling me the other day that it's actually um, finally coming back to Cameron after that sort of cringeworthy um, promotion he did behind Genesis. If you enjoyed the first two films, you're going to l- really enjoy parts <laughs> of this new film. they're really well you, scripted you much enjoy yeah uh, so tell us george the the rights are going back to cameron what else has just come out in recent years back to daddy
1: so yeah it was it was announced um earlier in the year that um the rights are reverting back to james cameron i think in 2019 and talks have already started that he's going to relaunch the, the franchise because he's so busy got his head stuck right up avatar um, he's just taking on a producer role, and Tim Miller of Deadpool is directing. Um, so that was announced at the start of the year, and it's literally over the past few days, past week or so, Arnie's uh, announced that he will be returning, and they've alluded to that uh, he'll be playing the role of the sort of, he might not be a Terminator, he'll be the person they've based the Terminators on so like the yeah wh- where have they got that inspiration for that human form from
0: like the like they do do not do that in Alien 3 with Bishop
1: yeah yeah very similar to that and they did do it as a deleted scene in Terminator 3 um which is worth checking out if you're a a diehard fan just because it's so cringeworthy um <laughs> but um I think in the past couple of days they've announced that none other than uh Linda Hamilton will also be returning so so yeah it's it's a bit of a it seems to be splitting audiences in terms of the reaction to this news some people are saying oh christ just let the franchise die and then some people are being cautiously optimistic like as i am that you know if anyone could do can bring the Terminator back into being something interesting is obviously going to be the guy that came up with the ideas and james cameron as we've talked about has formed with sequels that's something that he's got to prove himself again with the many avatar sequels he's going to unleash on us. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. If Linda Hamilton's interested in returning, it's, it may be, you know, should be a strong idea. And the other thing that they've, they flagged up is that again, it's going to wipe out the timeline. So this is going to be a direct sequel to Terminator 2. So, um, again, they're doing, I think you talked about aliens, uh, before, that was something that was pitched recently. Um, was that um, Neil Blomkamp, the guy who did District Nine, was going to do a an Alien Five, I think it is, and that was going to act as a direct sequel to Aliens and and wipe out all the other films. But that seems to have sort of stalled and been overridden by uh, Ridley Scott. But yeah, I, I say I'm I'm cautiously optimistic to see what they could do and uh, you know what Cameron, what story Cameron can come up with.
0: Well, will they pick up on the thing that I saw? That I just saw this last time watching it, and I think it's been picked up elsewhere, obviously, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fan made stuff out there about where it could go. Um, but the fact that, yeah, that Arnie actually did leave, sorry, the T800 left another arm at the end of T2, which I don't think was picked up in any of the other films, which maybe Cameron's gonna go back and do that, and maybe, I think, I don't know, let's, let's see where it's gonna go. I think we've talked, um, probably enough about um, about Terminator, about James Cameron, and that. I think it's clear that this is you know a very big film. I mean, these are the films we we picking films of our childhoods. This was a big one, and um, we hope you've enjoyed it, George. I think it was it was an emotional journey for both of us, wasn't it?
1: Uh, well, now I know now why we cry.
0: <laughs> so, um, where what does the future hold for us, George? Do we know for certain what we're going to be coming back with? <laughs> i'm just
1: going to keep coming up with terminator quotes the future's not set (laughs) okay (laughs) uh no i think we talked about for the next episode we talked about uh who you're going to call ghostbusters
0: well with halloween coming up i think that makes perfect sense so uh before we sign off i've got a little bit of movie news because i only got invited to another premiere by paramount
1: you're so hot these
0: days. Yeah, I mean, I thought taking my trousers off at the last premiere because they said, you know, make yourself feel comfortable, I wouldn't get invited back. But lo and behold, there I was with Jennifer Lawrence and Darren Ar- Aronofsky at the French premiere of Mother. And what a mother of a film. I don't want to use overuse that pun, but you haven't seen it yet, George, have you? No, um, I, you
1: know, I was going to say, hang on, that's that's my role. I'm I'm the film geek. I go like and see the weird films, not um, you.
0: <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. Um, it's called Cross Pollination of Skills. Uh, Bruno. Ooh, nice, okay. love it, love it. Um, um,
1: yeah, I, I've heard very mixed uh, reviews. I mean, Aronofsky, it can really divide audiences. I really like uh, The Fountain, but I know some people loathe it, and I think it's the same with... Um, what else has he done that's been really divisive? But it seems like this is another film that either people are really enjoying or really hating.
0: Well, I think it, it's teetering on that thing of, uh, and I have had it from inside knowledge uh, from my man at uh, Paramount, that that maybe audiences just aren't getting it. And without spoiling anything, um, you know, the I think going in knowing as little as possible is what I would advise. But the way I would sum it up is to basically condense a story that delves into the the frailty, the ambivalence, and the arrogance of of all of mankind into two hours is is fascinating. That Darren Aronofsky I can't even say I'm just going to call him Daronofsky because that seems to be his uh, nickname in the industry. Um, but to do what he's done is is so impressive, and the fact that nobody else has ever actually tried to do what he's done. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything by saying that the film is a metaphor, but it's 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 crazy that nobody's done that. So. I can't recommend it high enough. I think it's people are talking about it. You should definitely go and see it. Um, can't can't recommend it enough. I didn't know what was going on and until the end. And I and I love films that do that. But sounds great. Look and feel of it's great. Great performances from Bardem and Lawrence and obviously uh, stand down, Captain uh, Ed Harris and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and plenty of others. So um, check it out. Nothing much else from me. Probably in the next episode we'll look at the Christmas releases of both films movies games it's a big because it's the time to buy stuff and get invested but what about you george anything else you want to we want to cover before we sign off uh no that i'm sure I've, I've talked enough in this this podcast i'm a little bit exhausted okay well um thank you everybody um as i say george and i are um we're on the highway now uh looking we don't know where we're going hopefully to uh to find kyle reese or something
1: i think michael bean's available (laughs) okay bye-bye all right bye-bye
0: Your parents are kind of dicks, huh? John! Come on, get your ass inside. Do what your mother tells you. She's not my mother, Todd. <laughs>